Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the final week, uh, final show of the week here on the Ryan D. Leaf Show, the RDL Show. Thanks for everybody for joining us. Uh, along with me is Jonathan, Sky, and Charlie, who will be along shortly. Question of the day, everybody. Question of the day. Whether or not uh, this NFL draft, how many quarterbacks go in round one of the NFL draft? Could there be five? Could there be possibly six now that another name that I've been trumpeting for the last month and a half uh, sneak into the first round? We're hearing rumors that it may happen. We'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, we got a big show for you. John Wilner from the Mercury, Mercury News uh, Pac-12 Hotline is going to join us, talk to us about the Sean Miller exit at Arizona, why it took so long, and why at this time it, it chose to go down, and who are the possible candidates to take over a prominent basketball program in the Pac-12. We'll talk to him at the bottom of the hour. But for right now, uh, we're heading into a weekend. Um, uh, I talked to you guys a lot about choices. And um, I was driving the other day, and this, of course, always pops into my head when I watch somebody make a choice. Uh, that seems simple. And... Uh, any of you who have lived in L.A. before or live in L.A. know the 405 is a monster, okay? It's, it just can get packed like you wouldn't uh, understand. And uh, uh, there is a carpool away. And you see a car dive in there, and, and there's not more than one person in there. And, but I've never seen a police officer ever pull them over. And they have the big signs up there that says, like, $500 fine uh, if caught or whatever. So... Uh, there, there are many times that I'm driving along and I feel like I need to get someplace faster. And so I would just, you know, dart into that lane and, and go about my business. You know, I do what I want. And, uh, and, I'm ne and I was never caught. Same thing goes with, uh, I use a Q-tip to clean my ear out after showers, right? And I think for the longest time, I would do that and I would toss it towards the trash can and nine times out of 10, you know, it goes in, but you know, every once in a while you'd miss my mind and my eyes would just go right back to the mirror because I felt probably like I was entitled to have somebody pick up after me my whole life or that it would just get picked up after for whatever reason. And then I thought about things in the most simplest possible ways I could. And that is, you know, you just, do the next right thing, no matter how insignificant that next choice feels to you, you do. And so one day, you know, I, I walked over and I picked up the, the Q-tip and I put it in the trash. So now when I go and speak to teams, to people all over the place, it's become, it kind of became part of, of what I talk about. Um, because no matter how many times you keep doing the next right thing or making the next right choice, the simpler, easy way 
um, revolving around fear, judgment, um, all those things is, is easier. And so, you know, I talk about it all the time. You know, I think about it all the time, yet muscle memory takes over. You know, I was taking a shower today and I threw the Q-tip at the trash can and it missed. And my eyes went quickly back to the mirror. And um, I didn't necessarily know this was going to be what I talked about to start the show, but I immediately did then. And I looked at myself and I kind of, you know, can step outside myself a little bit now and said, hey, Ryan, you talk about this all the time. You're going to go talk about this now in 15 minutes. Go pick up the damn Q-tip, okay? And it's something as small as that. Because I guarantee you that the 18-year-old version of me uh, isn't watching the 36-year-old version of me standing outside a home in my hometown making a choice whether or not to break into that house to steal pills, okay? No way that's going to be me, right? That 18-year-old version of me. But if I would have continued to make correct, right choices all the way from there till 36, I know for a fact I wouldn't have been standing in front of that house trying to make that decision. And by the way, it wasn't a hard decision because I was out of practice. It's like anything you do. You do something over and over and over and over again to be good at it. You practice it. And if you don't practice all these minuscule ones, right, driving on the 405, knowing you could just jump into the carpool lane, even though you don't have more than one person in your car, no one's going to catch you. You know, the police aren't really monitoring it. You're going to get, but just to do the right thing, because it's the right thing to do, you build off that. So then when you're in that moment, right, when you're standing in front of a house, deciding whether or not to break into it, uh, you're most likely not even in that situation because you've built up this equity and you have the, the, the power and that choice, right? In a world that takes so much control away from us, we talk about that all the time, you will have a fork in the road regardless. And you will have a choice uh, on how to deal with that situation in a positive and healthy way or a negative and toxic one. It's just, it's just how it works. The negative and toxic way is easier. It's easier to be angry, to be judgmental, to be fearful, all those things. It's just, it's second nature. It's more difficult to take the positive and healthy way because it's, you know, it's about love. It's about understanding. It's about open-mindedness. All of these things that exist that we don't look at because we're too, we're too scared, we're too fearful. And it starts with just the littlest, the littlest things you can imagine. Uh, because I know for a fact that if you don't practice those little things, you're never going to be able to make the big decisions the right way because it will go like that. So pick up the damn Q-tip, everybody. That's my, that's my message. Uh, just like on Wednesday, uh, shits are good. Pick up the damn Q-tip today, all right? There we go. So I left you last Wednesday uh, heading off to my colonoscopy. It's something that you need to do for your health, everybody, uh, especially when you get to 45. Everything's good. Um, it was an interesting experience. I mean, literally, you go in, they put you to sleep, you wake up on the gurney, and they send you on your way. Uh, you know, they give you the info and say, 
uh, all good, and which was good. There was no, there was no uh, health issues or anything like that. I will say this as a competitive person, because we talked about this pre-show, you have to prep for these things, you know? So the, I, I will say this, that the doctor came in into the, the room afterwards and he, he wanted to tell me, I don't know if he just, he wanted to compliment me and, and, and told me that uh, I prepped really well. It was an incredibly clear colonoscopy. So I took, a, you know, I'm a competitive person, right? I was gonna be the best um, possible version of myself when I entered the doctor's office on Wednesday. Um, after the show today, I head to Arizona, uh, make up that rain check for the weekend. I was there a couple of weeks ago. The boys will have the controls on Monday. Uh, hopefully I'll be able to pop in and say hi. We'll see where I'm at in terms of the mountains, whether I'm in the mountains and, and can, can't engage with you guys on Monday. But um, everybody's talking about the NFL draft. As is, it's about three weeks away, three, just under, or just under three weeks um, from yesterday, actually. And uh, once again, as, as is every single year, uh, quarterbacks dominate the conversation around the NFL draft. It just, it is what it is, right? You know, the quarterback dominates um, the NFL. So this takes us back to our question of the day. How many quarterbacks go in round one of the NFL draft this year? There's been twice, I believe, that they've gone three consecutive, one, two, and three. Uh, there's been multiple times where they've gone one, two. It's never happened before that quarterbacks have gone one, two, three, and four. And there certainly has never been the case where quarterbacks have gone one, two, three, four, and five. There's a very real possibility that both of those, uh, both of those things could be true this year, simply because of what we talked about, how this league is quarterback driven period. That's who you pay. That's who you get. Now, if you miss out on them because of the rookie salary cap negotiated during the last couple collective bargaining agreements, if you do miss out on a quarterback, it doesn't cost your team as dearly as it once did. Back in my day, uh, San Diego mortgaged a ton to get me and I didn't pan out like they needed me to. And it put them in the doghouse for a while. Um, when you watch the St. Louis Rams go through the last spot with Sam Bradford, you watch them have to deal with things for a few years before they could bounce back. Now you could go draft a guy 12th overall, a la Josh Rose in Arizona Cardinals, and that doesn't work out. And you fire your head coach and go get a new one and you draft another quarterback first overall. Uh, and it, it, and, and you're two years, uh, you know, away from having the best receiver in the NFL on your roster and just missing out on the playoffs. So it doesn't damage you as much. So now taking big swings for, for quarterbacks at the top of the draft, this is more detrimental to the, the player. The expectations for the player are much greater than they are for the franchises anymore because the franchises just move on. Fans stay with it, right? Uh, when you have a bust at a position, fans can just harp on that and not necessarily harp on the, the franchise for doing it, especially if they get to go draft another quarterback. I mean, people don't look at Sam Darnold who are Jets fans and think like, you know, they're not, they're not, they're not caring too much that Sam Darnold didn't work out when they know Zach Wilson or Justin Fields or somebody else is on the horizon for them. And this year, uh, the first three for sure are quarterbacks. Atlanta's at four. Cincinnati's at five. Both teams are not in need of quarterbacks. We don't know for sure with, with Atlanta. Atlanta could be the team that takes a quarterback. 
the heir apparent for Matt Ryan. We'll wait and see. But if not, they're going to trade out of that spot to a quarterback needy team who will slide in there. And then it's up to Cincinnati. Do you take the best player possible? Uh, do we do is the uh, do they take the best player possible or do they move back a little bit? Now, Cincinnati's never been known as a team to do anything like that. They take what they what what they are given and uh, they move forward. That's how it's always gone with the Bengals. So I don't really necessarily foresee them moving back. I think, uh, you know, but other teams are going to be asking some questions. And I don't necessarily think this quarterback class is incredibly deep. But the chances of missing out on a franchise quarterback, which is the one thing that leads your team in this day and age of the NFL, is the reason why. Um, another name that we've been talking about since this show started, um, John King, friend of ours of the show. Thanks. I'll go with four quarterbacks thinking some teams are bluffing. Well, I don't know what that would mean. Teams need quarterbacks, so if teams need to move up to get a quarterback, they're going to do it. Um, there's definitely going to be five taken in the first round. Uh, six is an interesting question. Kellen Mond's name has been brought up. Uh, the name I continue to talk about is Davis Mills out of Stanford, and now that's starting to get some traction. We're hearing now that teams are looking into possibly moving up into the latter, latter parts of the first round to possibly grab the Stanford um, Cardinal, simply because if you do get him in the first round, if we talked about as the Baltimore Ravens did it a few years back when they moved up to take Lamar Jackson at number 32, you get the fifth year option. Uh, that's big, especially with how quarterback contracts are going through the roof as of late. Uh, I would be stunned if Davis Mills popped into the first round, though we've talked about him having first round talent. He's only started 12 games. He's been injury prone. I would be shocked if it happened, but it, it's seemingly moving that way. I saw him more of a, a steal at, at 46 to the New England Patriots, and now, um, you know, they're talking the latter part of the first round. Your guys' thoughts on the possibility of six quarterbacks going in the first round of the NFL draft? It's interesting. I'm curious. Okay, so let's extract Davis Mills from the surprise quarterback being taken right because i think we've established you've established here on the show and now we're seeing some um echoed sentiments with the the, the national media about davis mills but extract him from from this conversation who's the next surprise who's the guy that like this is there a shot that we see sam ellinger being taken in the first round or is kellen mond really the next guy it's no. really just going to be kellen mond or davis mills yeah i think those two are the next steps uh at the quarterback position. Kellen Mond is a, is an interesting uh, question mark. Cause he's had games where he's looked lights out in a very complicated system for Jimbo Fisher, but there's been games where he's just, he's absolutely disappeared and he's been nowhere to be found. So that, that for me is a question mark, which leads me to believe that he'll be a, he'll be a second or third day draft pick, but Davis Mills, who many people thought when he decided to, to, declare for the draft which i thought was a mistake now if he goes in the first round you know i'll eat a ton of crow there because it certainly wasn't a mistake right it was the smartest thing he could have done he played well in a shortened COVID season for stanford declared for the draft and then became a first round draft pick i mean that that seemingly is great football business right great football business um 
a lot of people were were likening him to Jacob Eason from a year ago, who went, I think, in the third round to Indianapolis, if I recall correctly. So, you know, that's where a lot of people thought this was third or fourth round. Um, a lot of people thought he'd fall. And to see this kind of meteoric rise over the last two months, he had a great workout in the rain, um, not as much hoopla. I, 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 I think New England was really hoping he would, uh, he would stay under the radar a bit and they could, you know, maybe steal him at 46. But now more teams are talking about it. New England with 10 draft picks in this year's draft, uh, 79 players already on the roster, uh, probably aren't going to take 10 players in this year's draft. I'll have a chance to package some of those up and maybe slide up a little bit higher to take the quarterback uh, who could possibly replace Tom Brady down the line. So, Ryan, we know Lawrence Fields, uh, Mac Jones most likely, Wilson are automatics in the first round, most likely in Trey Lance probably as well. The first three, the Jags, Jets, and Niners. Justin Fields. Quarterback. Yep. Um so possibly there's another couple teams here I'm looking at that could potentially in the first round make one too. Denver Broncos, you say that they might they'll stick with Drew Locke, but they could potentially look at a quarterback as well. Then we come down New England at 15, and then we have Washington football team, uh, Chicago Bears, uh, even the Pittsburgh Steelers could potentially get somebody behind Big Ben. We don't know what the Saints are going to do long term. <clears throat> to me, there's 10 teams in the first round that could draft a quarterback, and it would make sense. And if we're thinking of just six. Uh, I definitely think it's a possibility. Yeah, I do too. Uh, the idea that uh, that that many teams are quarterback needy, either immediately or in the immediate future, it tells you exactly how, what the NFL uh, organizations are thinking. You know how how uh, how quickly do you think? And we had evidence a couple of years ago that the Cardinals, Arizona Cardinals, drafted um, Rosen in the first couple of picks first round and then immediately drafted Kyler Murray after that. And Rosen obviously has been trickling away since then. How short of a leash these days do NFL quarterbacks have with that high draft capital? Drew Locke doesn't have the draft capital necessarily, um, but Jared Goff does. He was traded. Does Detroit still bring somebody in behind him to make sure that they have a backup plan in case he doesn't work out or something like it's interesting to see what happens with, the shorter leash maybe these days than it used to be draft and waited out regardless. It's just not like that anymore. Well, I mean, if you go, if you go one overall or two or three, that's, that's a little different scenario unless you go 12 or 15 Dwayne Haskins, Josh Rose and things like that. You know, that's the expectations aren't as high. If you are drafted, you know, top three, you may get a little bit of a longer leash during this process. Clearly Jared Goff did in year one, uh, you know, he was he was entering Ryan Leaf territory in some of the statistics. And luckily for him, Sean McVay showed up on the scene and, and played that out for him. So um, if Sean McVay was your coach, would you have turned out differently? Is that what you're alluding to here? No, I was. No, no. Okay. That's not it at all. Um, not even close to what I was alluding to. Luckily for him, Sean McVay showed up. Jared Goff had maturity and is a, and 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 uh, uh didn't have the character defects and mental illness that I, that I, that I did. So that that's, I was the problem. Uh, no matter where I would have went, uh, my, my career implodes at the NFL level, just because uh, you have to be uh, a capable human being to play professional football, at least at the quarterback position. And if not, you're found out in a hurry 
as I was. So um, once again, uh, question of the day, how many quarterbacks go in round one of the NFL draft this year? Is it four? Is it five? Is it six? Is it possibly seven with Kellen Mond? Who knows? That's the question of the day. We'll get to your answers at the end of the show uh, when we discuss a little bit more. First, let's go pay some bills before we talk about the NCAA basketball. And uh, John Wilner joins us from the Mercury News. Um, Sunfair.com, everybody. Uh, you, you've seen the pictures over the last month and a half. Uh, my story, a little bit. Personalized delivered healthy meals. Uh, today was a ground turkey bacon cheeseburger for lunch. Oh, wow, that was good. Um, dinner tonight is some steak and uh, cauliflower mash. Never thought I'd be a cauliflower guy, but, uh, but I am with this Sunfair diet. Go to sunfair.com, fill out all your information, uh, pick Carl Farrow as your sales representative and the Ryan D. Leaf Show as how you heard about us. And then order 10% off your first delivery. This food is delivered to your doorstep every single morning. If you live in Los Angeles or in the Phoenix area, you'll get your food delivered to your door every single day. And you can start your health kick now. The pandemic was a huge opportunity for me to try to be better, to do better. And that's what I've tried to do. And it's worked. It's been all about the food. It really has. I have not worked out since probably March of 2020. And um, this transformation took place because of the food. Sunfair.com, Ryan D. Leaf Show, 10% off your first order when you deliver, when you, when you get your first uh, order delivered. All righty. Big news out of the NCAA, at least if uh, you're a West Coast guy, Pac-12 guy, Sean Miller, uh, Arizona head men's basketball coach, let go this week. I was stunned, to be honest with you, that this happened. Um, because Arizona had backed him for so long. If you recall correctly, about three years ago, they were on their way to Oregon. DeAndre Ayton, the number one overall draft pick that year, was on his roster. DeAndre Ayton's name had been, had been talked about in the FBI um, wiretaps and everything that went with Sean Miller. Uh, DeAndre got the go-ahead to play, played his tail off up there in Eugene. Sean Miller sat out the game, and the talking heads everywhere on college game day that Saturday morning said you would never see Sean Miller on the sideline for the Arizona Wildcats again. Sure enough, next game, Sean Miller is out there coaching once again. The university is backing him, and he goes on to coach two more seasons. This year, they self-imposed a postseason ban. So the Pac-12 going through this resurgence during this tournament with five teams uh, and four of them making a serious run, none of them were the Arizona Wildcats. And sure enough, this week, the Board of Regents and the school's president and athletic director made the move to fire Sean Miller. It surprised me because why do this now? You back this guy forever. I know he had one year left on his contract and you never see a college coach uh, as a lame duck coach because it's very difficult to recruit with a coach on a one-year contract. And that may have been the next step. But it surprised me a lot that it happened now because I surely was waiting for that other shoe to drop for years. And the longer 
they kept Sean Miller around, I felt like that anchor continued to weigh down the Wildcats. Well, it did. And I think that it hurt a myriad of, uh, of the future that they're trying to build, right? If I'm a recruit and I hear that the NCAA is investigating the University of Arizona because of DeAndre Ayton getting $100,000 in a car or an assistant coach is wiring money and now the handler is in jail for Adidas, right? Like there's so much that's happened over the last three years. It's kind of shocking to think that Miller has still been at the home for Arizona through all of that when he has been named an FBI investigation and wiretaps. And when there are literally handlers in court on the podium under oath saying that he is involved in recruiting, in recruitment practices that are reckless and against NCAA standards, Arizona was an investment for the NCAA, right? It was an equitable program that they were protecting up to a point. There's a reason that Nick Saban at Alabama never gets in trouble. There's a reason that Duke, are you think that these guys run uh, clean, clean programs? Coach K at Duke, right? Bill Self at Kansas? Maybe. Probably not, though. Bill Self has been named in every freaking NCAA investigation for basketball ever heard of, but he never gets in trouble because he and the program that he runs are an investment by the NCAA, and they are going to protect their assets. Arizona is no longer an asset for the NCAA because they're not recruiting at a high level. They're not winning games. And at the end of the day, when Sean Miller has been named in every single FBI investigation by handlers, you, 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 there's nothing you can do to protect this program. So Arizona had to make a choice. They made the right choice. Yes, it came maybe three or four years too late. But at the end of the day, they're probably going to get wins vacated. They'll probably get scholarships taken away. And they'll have to go find a new head coach and build from the bottom up. And uh, we'll see if there's any more pending uh, charges to that program from there. Well, I think you nailed it as well, just saying that Arizona's not a pro- not profitable for the NCAA, which is why Miller's can now. Like three, four years ago when he was still getting recruits like Laurie Markkinen, DeAndre Aiden, Zeke Naji, they're winning games. They're on ESPN every night. They're must-see TV. And now, since they're not getting the recruits, they're not getting the high-profile players, the NCAA doesn't care anymore. They don't care to protect him, which is why he got canned at the time he did. I think uh, you guys are – I think you guys are way over the top with that. But that's just – Wait, elaborate. Between. Elaborate. Yeah, you whoa. Here and say your conspiracy theories. It's not. They don't. They that's yeah. They don't hold water with me. Arizona to me is still a a a brand name. When the Pac-12 is good, is when Arizona and UCLA are good. So not it's a brand name to me. They, they they had the number one overall draft pick two years ago in the NBA draft. Arizona has not won a, a draft pick that they recruited for a hundred thousand yeah. dollars to give a car two to year, two years ago. Also, not now. Who who's a top recruit that they're bringing in now? They're not, they haven't won the Pac 12 in six seasons. They were 11 and nine in conference this year. The kids that they're recruiting now don't remember when Arizona was a powerhouse. Well, Arizona wasn't, Arizona hasn't been a powerhouse since since I was playing then, right? How come, how come the Pac 12 is good at basketball in Arizona if they haven't been that good at basketball for that long? No, I'm just asking that question. I feel like they've been the dominant force of the Pac 12 over the last. It's, 15 years. It's the same conversation as the Pac-12 perception for football is better when USC is playing good football because the association with Pac-12 success in these sports is with these programs. But it's changed. When you look at the recruiting classes now, these kids don't remember in football when USC in 2005 through 2008 was dominant, right? They don't remember when Arizona in the mid-2000s or early 2000s or even 2012, right, was dominant. These, these kids were so young then that all of that history is lost upon them. 
So it makes so it's it all about what you did last year. Oh, and Arizona has not been competitive. Right. So it's all about what you did last year, right? Correct. Okay. And what, what Arizona, what happened with Arizona was that they got caught in an investigation. Parents were worried that their kids would get screwed in scholarship or like if the, if the team loses scholarships, their kid is going to get screwed. The kid's going to transfer out, whatever. It becomes a liability to send your kids to that school. It hurts Arizona. So why, why would, uh, why would anybody go to the school now? Even if they fire, why would, then what's the point of firing Sean Miller? Because they want to start at, at the point guard because Arizona comes and says, we don't have the depth. You can come yeah. be our starting point. If they're giving they're out scholarships, the kids are obviously going to go and play for them. They want to play basketball. And if they're promised yeah. a starting spot, if they're I don't think that, but they're not going to. They're not in the running for top 20, top 30, and, top 40 recruits like exactly. they were. Exactly. So then why, then why get rid of the coach that gets you those recruits? Because they have to find a way to get back on that track. And having Sean Miller at the head of that program is not head, heading them in the right direction. The Sean Miller he system. Was the, he, was the, he was the one that got you the recruits. And he was the one who screwed them up. Yes, he got caught. He got caught. So it's just, so it's just about not getting caught then. Or it's about not getting, or it's about getting caught, but being founded out by the right people who are going to protect you. When you're being okay. named on the podium under oath in FBI investigations, you you people are not going to jump to your aid. Yeah, and and also there was this really good documentary on on HBO I watched where Sean Miller weren't they weren't they, weren't they pointing out Bill Self's name? That's what I was saying. But guess what? Bill Self is protected because he's a much more valuable asset to the NCAA. That's what I, that's why, what I was Why about. is that? Huh? Why is that? Bigger, because Kansas, Kansas makes them more program. TV revenue. Okay. So if, you, if they make them more TV revenue, the NCAA makes more money. Also, by the way, these, these programs remain associated with the players when they go to the NBA, which is good for you guys are, you guys are such You guys are so full of shit. All right, so we're going uh, uh, to bring John, uh, John Wilner on to talk about this particular thing. I'd like you guys to ask that question um, uh, about, about what you guys, all that nonsense you guys just spewed. Is he available yet? Uh, no, we don't have him, but once we do, I'll let you know. All right, so John John is is connected in the Pac-12 as you can imagine when it comes to uh, football, basketball, everything in between. Okay, uh, I want to talk to him about the Sean Miller situation. How much of a difference um, this Pac-12 performance in this year's tournament is going to do towards towards recruiting in the conference? Uh, thoughts on Sean's replacements? Uh, there's four names that's out there: Lloyd from Gonzaga. Musselman from Arkansas, um, David Stoudemire Pacific, and Miles Simon, former national champion with them who works with the Los Angeles Lakers right now. also want to talk to him about the football aspect of things. Hopefully everything gets back to normal this year. What did last year's COVID-shortened season do to damage the brand even more? Is, um, is the ability uh, for them to move on from Larry Scott going to change things here? So uh, – I'd like to welcome John Wilner from the Mercury News. John, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing okay, man. Hey, uh, just got into a pretty nice uh, and, and uh, intricate argument with a couple of my boys here around the Pac-12 conference in terms of why Sean Miller exits now instead of three years ago when this was all playing out. And is this about the fact that Arizona has become non-relevant towards recruits anymore, the ones that Sean Miller was able to bring in and not able to do so anymore because of the allegations. 
Well, that's like the twelve million dollar question because that's about how much they've paid him since uh, since the FBI scandal broke in September of twenty seventeen. Right? right, four seasons worth of salary since then. Um, you know, I think some of it has to do absolutely with their performance. If he was winning, you know, thirty games a year and uh, had been in the Sweet Sixteen or whatever. I think they may have they may have stuck with him even longer. So it's clear that the competitive component was was part of their decision. But at the same time, you know he's gonna he's been accused of a level one violation. He's gonna he would have gotten suspended next season and probably for a very long time. And so that's also got to be part of what they're they're thinking about is it's gonna just drag on and on. Why did this take so long? If you recall correctly, when he got suspended for the game against Oregon and people out all over the place were coming out saying he'll never coach again. Uh, and then the, the university backs him. Why did this just take so long? And did the performance by the PAC 12 and the fact that Arizona was not part of that conversation this year during the tournament, help that make, make that decision uh, not as, not as difficult. Well, maybe. I mean, they got the notice of allegations from the NCAA in November, and they decided on their own uh, to, you know, to make the remove themselves from the postseason. They would have been in the NCAA tournament, I think, but it was their yep. own decision. It was a preemptive strike because they assumed they were going to get hit hard by the NCAA. So, you know, I don't know that that the what happened with the rest of the conference in March necessarily impacted them because that was a bed that they had made on their own. Um, you know, in terms of why it took so long, you know, that Oregon's him not coaching that game in Oregon all these years ago was a result of that ESPN story, which now seems to have been proven to be inaccurate uh, to, to some level or another in terms of his, uh, you know, interaction with, with DeAndre Ayton and, and payments made. So that was specific to the ESPN story. The rest of it has just been, you know, you know, kind of them waiting it out while all the evidence has piled up and, and uh, against Miller and, and his staff. Uh, and I don't know exactly why the president made his decision this week as opposed to right after the season ended or in November or three and a half years ago. Do you think there had a little bit to do with maybe, I mean, this decision could have been made, you know, the run that the, the women were on and they didn't want to maybe take away uh, from the attention of, uh, from that women's team and how, how well they were playing? Oh, I think that that may have definitely had something to do with it, but there was an entire week right before there might actually, there was at least 10 days between what their season ended on a Monday. It was like March 1st or 2nd. NCAA tournament didn't start till, you know, two two weeks later, two uh, basically. So there was plenty of time that they could have made a decision, and they, you know, they knew what they were up against. They got had had the notice of allegations for months. So I don't know why there wasn't a decision made the day after their season ended. So having this, having said all this, who's who's going to replace him? You know, there's 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 been I think four names that have really been floated out there. Miles Simon, former national champion with that team back in the late 90s. Uh, Damon Sotomayor, uh, early, mid-90s point guard for them, who coached the University of Pacific. Coach Lloyd up at, uh, from Gonzaga and, and Coach uh, Musselman from, from Arkansas. 
Those are names that are being floated around. Are there any ones that you're hearing more prominently than the others? Well, you know, I'm not sure how viable Musselman is. I think they should hire him and do whatever it takes financially to hire him, but I don't get a sense that they're moving in that direction. Uh, I think that they're going to, they're reportedly interviewing Simon uh, and Stoudemire. I think the president has already talked. I think the president likes Lloyd uh, a lot. And the other name that, you know, I've heard some uh, is Mark Pope, the current coach at BYU. Uh, who, who's done a nice job at BYU. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of pressure to hire someone from the Arizona basketball family. But, you know, I just don't – I don't know. Josh Passner is from the Arizona basketball family, but they can't hire him because he had just had his program banned from the NCAA tournament also. So there's not there's not a ton of great options. Uh, Stoudemire would be probably the, the favorite if they were going to stay within the family, and Lloyd's probably the favorite if they go outside. John, one of the things that we consistently talk about, Ryan and I talk about all the time um, when we're together, whether it's on our Pac-12 show or here on the RDL show, is the perception of the conference, right, the Pac-12. And for basketball, uh, Pac-12 success, perceptively, has been associated with Arizona and UCLA basketball. Now, it's been a while since either of those programs are really nationally dominated, and we've seen other programs emerge within the conference. How much does the perception for basketball for the Pac-12 rely on schools like UCLA and Arizona, or have we turned a new leaf with some of the programs like UC, uh, USC and Oregon coming up, or even Oregon State coming up and, and showing some national prevalence um, now as we, we sort of move forward within the conference from, from this season on? Yeah, I mean, I don't think USC does does anything really for the Pac-12's national reputation in basketball, right? Uh, I, uh, Oregon, to a certain extent, does, right? They made a Final Four, Elite Eight, you know, uh, I, I think Oregon helps, but to me, uh, it it starts with UCLA and then it's Arizona in terms of the the perception, and that's the same. You know, in bat in football, it's US. It starts with USC, right? And then Washington and Oregon, I think, are also you know helpful. But just think about you know other leagues, right? What do you what do you think of uh, the ACC when Duke and Carolina are down, or the SEC when Kentucky's down, right? The big brands affect the perception of the conference, you know, outside of the footprint, right? And for people in the eastern half of the country, you know, a lot of the Pac-12 basketball uh, association is with UCLA and Arizona because both programs have had so much success over decades, right? Arizona was in the Final Four in 1988, right? Now that's 30-something years ago at this point, right? right? So that the, the success over time is what builds brands brand affiliation. John, let's let's shift gears a little bit before we get you out of here. Uh, John Wilner from the Mercury News Pac-12 Hotline. Um, spring ball started. Um, the Pac-12's reemergence on the national scene in terms of basketball is it going to have any carryover to the football side of things? I know it's they're completely different sports, but for some for some reason in this day and age, you know, when we talk about when things are being talked about, is it a is it a chance for them to have a reemergence uh, in terms of people talking about the Pac-12? Of course, they got to go out and perform. But was last year the COVID-related issues and and only playing a short amount of games and looking kind of like uh, the, the 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 you know the crew that couldn't shoot straight? Is that just going to have a hangover effect for them heading into this next season? You know, I think this basketball success in March is going to help. Absolutely. Uh, it kind of gives the, the conference a, a foundation, right? I mean, 
ultimately football's got to produce, but at right. least this is, this is like a, a, a launching pad in some, in some regards right now. They got to win in basketball next November and December and some of those marquee games. Uh, and, but they certainly have got to win in football, right? I mean, we're going to know by the middle of September after UCLA plays LSU and Colorado plays A&M and the Huskies and, and Ducks go to uh, Ann Arbor and Columbus. That's all the first half of September by September 15th. We're going to know what Pac-12 football, the perception at least, will be nationally based on how the conference performs in those four games. Let's get you out of here with this question. Any movement on uh, who the next commissioner of the Pac-12 conference is going to be once Larry Scott's contract finally is up here or their their, uh, negotiated contract being up here, I believe, in July? Well, you know, there's movement in that they're talking about it. Lots of discussion, but I don't think that there's been a whole lot of uh, progress necessarily. Uh, I think that they, the presidents are still kind of trying to figure out what it is they want, right? They're not really aligned in terms of what the model. We lose him? I think we lost him. And I was waiting on bated breath for the end of that that comment. Um, I also, I want, I wanted to. Follow that up with. I wanted to follow that up with uh, whether or not um, you know this taking that long is a problem, or are they just simply doing good due diligence. You know. No, it's a good question. We lost Charlie too. Um, I guess it's it's the Wi-Fi outside of here. I mean, I don't know. I think the conference needs somebody who's innovative and forward thinking. They need somebody who can help sell a deal to ESPN or yeah yeah we lost Wilder. Um, we need somebody who can sell a deal, uh, to ESPN or CBS or Fox, whoever wants to take over the PAC 12 network because dissemination is the biggest problem for this conference in terms of perception. Um, and so, yeah, they just need a, they need a young forward thinker who has a lot of experience and credibility to back him. We'll see where where they go from there. Well, I would have liked some, uh, I would have liked to see some movement by now. I really would have, uh, it's been since Larry Scott announced and the negotiation happened again, it makes this conference not necessarily look. Uh, you know, on the uh, on the upper end of all this, uh, all this stuff. So, all right. Ever since, ever since Ryan, ever since there was a, a legal Pac-12 uh, official in the replay review room when Washington State played Oregon a couple of years ago, I mean, that was really the sort of the straw that broke the camel's back with Larry Scott, right? Because he was in Pullman the next week for the Oregon game. I was there. I interviewed him, and he didn't take one ounce of of responsibility for that. And that just can't happen. Well. He, he's and he's, but it, it didn't matter. It wasn't the end of it. He stuck around for two more years, so uh, it's and still made major, still made, still made major decisions. Uh, you know, he's as a commissioner, he has to take full accountability. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't aware that the that his vice president uh, called into the uh, uh, called into the officiating room, the replay room, and, and voiced his opinion. You're right, and yeah, he uh, overturned a target, an imperative targeting call in that game. Yeah, I, I remember I was there. I was I was shadowing Greg McElroy that night uh, for ESPN. So um, they that was a chance for Washington State to be at the now. Don't get me wrong, you know they still get their ass kicked by Washington every year, so they wouldn't have been in the Pac-12 championship. So uh, under under Mike Leach, um, yeah. but that would have made a big difference. They would have been in the top. They would have been undefeated heading into that Washington game. Maybe it makes a 
a little bit of difference. Yeah. Who knows? But uh, we want to thank John Wilner. We lost him there just the last second asking him questions about about Larry Scott and where they go next. I'm a, I'm a little disconcerned. Uh, uh, I'm a little concerned that that there hasn't been more movement to this point. The, there needs to not just like. Do you think it's not an attractive position? Do you think that people, there are names out there that they're reaching out to and we're good? We don't really want no. to deal with the mess that Larry Scott left behind? No, not at all. I think this is a very, uh, very attractive uh, job, especially with the new TV deals coming up in a few years. Having your own having your own network, you're going to be able to sell your own network. I mean, it's going to be um, beneficial. I do not think that at, at all for one, for one moment. Um, it's just like uh, any other time, any kind of big time coaching job. When I, when I, when we voice our opinion and say, I don't know if anybody wants that job. Yeah. Yeah. yeah people are going to want that job. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, this weekend, when you're watching the final two rounds of the masters uh, and you want to have a nice cold brew, but don't want to deal with all the consequences, go grab yourself some athletic brewing uh, company, athleticbrewing.com. Non-alcoholic brews uh, for those who do not want to uh, have the same kind of consequences. Brew without compromise. Athleticbrewing.com. Order your first two six-packs, 10% off any delivery. Um, Big-time sponsor of our show. Um, Come to really enjoy it. Um, um, For those, like I said, who don't want to deal with the consequences but still enjoy the great taste uh, and wellness part of – IPAs, brewing, uh, any kind of beer you can think of, um, triathleticbrew.com. Um, speaking of the Masters, right, here we are. Um, Justin Rose got out to a hell of a start yesterday uh, in really difficult conditions, you know, lapped the field. Uh, the next closest was minus three. He was minus seven. I believe, if I am correct, he finished out with an even par 72 today. He did, so he still leads. Mark Leishman's five under for the day. Justin Thomas, uh, who shot a one over 73 yesterday, is six under through 17 holes today. He is – live leaderboard up for you. He's two back. Tony Finau, seven under today. Yeah, monster he's, day for Finau. Monster day. Um, I, You know, this would be – he this, this course uh, fits his eye like nobody's business. He can bomb it. He can make putts on very difficult greens. He's set it up to uh, hopefully make a charge. Jordan Spieth, who was a favorite going into this after winning at the Valero Open last week, is minus four on the day through 17 holes and minus five. He is two back. This leaderboard for the weekend is going to be a lot of fun. Dustin Johnson, D- Dustin Johnson seemingly not uh, hanging around. What did Bryson do today, boys? He went down and shot a 67, I think, didn't he? Bryson shot a 67. He is minus one on the weekend so far. Well, he had a tough day yesterday. Six, what was he, four over yesterday? I think I think um, he was three or four over. Yeah, so uh, it's going to play out pretty well. Uh, this weekend is going to be difficult. Uh, you know, Dustin Johnson, what he did last fall, uh, he kind of tore this course apart. He really did. And, uh, you know, six months later – Augusta National herd, and they've made this course extremely difficult. It's pretty firm, pretty fast. Um, you know what? What gives this course teeth has and always will be uh, is is the greens because the length you can't get much longer than what it is right now. There's no more space 
uh, around Augusta National to make things longer. And they shaved down the rough pretty much where if you kind of sprayed all over the place, if it's not in a race creek or in, in some bushes and some azaleas, you have a shot at it. And what gives it the teeth is the greens and how firm and how fast they are this week uh, has been pretty fun to watch. Not as fun to play it, I'm assuming. We've had some pretty high scores from some pretty great guys. So got the master shirt going today. Um, about to head to Arizona to play a little golf here in about, oh, 10 minutes or so. Um, but I am going to take a bottle of Bomb Banana with me because, I, you know, when you want to, you know, spice up your food, you know, go to Bomb Banana, all right? Shake those maracas, everybody. This is made, uh, this is a company that's just, just started recently by four friends at the University of Michigan. Uh, don't go blue. Um, and launched in the midst of the pandemic with the version of transforming the way people uh, take and eat hot sauce. I love it. Um, there's two logos, a white logo, which is a less, more mild version of it, or a spicier one in the red logo bottle. Go to seekthespice.com. That's seekthespice.com, all one word. And today you can receive 10% off your first order by using the pro promo code LEAF, L-E-A-F, like on a tree at checkout. Bomb Banana Hot Sauce, absolutely fantastic. And beyond excited to have the opportunity to work with them. And they just they just liven up my meals. Sometimes, you know, when you're when you're going through this this Sunfair diet, um, things can get a little bland. Bomb banana, hot sauce, spices that up. Seekthespice.com. Today is their one year anniversary of launching. Go online there at seekthespice.com, promo code LEAF, and get 10% off. All right. Question of the day. We started at the beginning when we got into this. How many quarterbacks will be drafted in the first round of the NFL draft this year? Let's go to our loyal listeners and viewers and uh, interact with them a little bit. What do you guys think? Rob Berger, he thinks five, and then he gives a little shrug. I don't sound too confident there, Rob. I'm going with four, like John King said. I think it's just going to be Lawrence, Fields, um, Wilson, and Lance. And no, and uh, and Jones. Jones. I don't, think, I don't think Lance is going in the first round. So I think it's going to be four, like John King said. I think some teams might be bluffing. Uh, again, what do I know? I'm just some college kid, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> I'm taking the over under. I'm taking. I'm taking the over. I'm taking six. I think Ryan has some secret sources that he's not sharing with us about Davis Mills. It's my conspiracy. I think that he knows somebody close to a team that is planning to draft Davis Mills in the first round. And so when that happens, Ryan can sit there all smug and tell us that he was right. And so I think that Davis – I'm trusting Ryan here. Regardless of my conspiracy is right or not, I'm going to trust – give him the benefit of the doubt. I think we're going to see six quarterbacks taken. I think the four aforementioned, along with Lance and Davis Mills, go in the first round. I'm taking the over. I could, I think, I think five, uh, five at least for sure. Ryan, uh, you've mentioned the Patriots at 46 potentially as a landing spot for Mills, but that's the second round. So how would he, how would he slip into uh, the first round? Where do you see him landing in the first round? Well, I see the Patriots having to move up into the first round. Uh, uh, they're 15 already. No, they're not going to take him with the 15th pick. Oh, you, you mean take that four, 46 and move that into the back of the – They have 10 draft picks. They're not going right. to use all 10 draft picks. They're going to be able to package something and move up, similar to what the Baltimore Ravens did three years ago Lamar. when they moved up to the 32nd pick to pick Lamar. Mm -hmm. uh, what happens a lot of the time, uh, 
what happens a lot of the time with um, quarterbacks is they're, they are immune to the first round grade, right? Um, a lot of teams, and we've seen the Seattle Seahawks do it for years, right? If they do not have a first round grade on a player, they're not going to take them in the first round, right? They don't have a first round grade on somebody. They're going to move back and take the guys they need. They're not just going to, but with quarterbacks, you will. You'll take a guy that doesn't have a first round grade at the quarterback position because of how important it is. So with more and more speculation abound about Davis Mills moving up the draft board, if a team likes him, and I, and I know for a fact the New England Patriots liked him and like him at, and liked him at number 46, which I thought was going to be a steal, now when you got Matt Miller and Field Yates and Mel Kuyper talking about it on Get Up on ESPN that he possibly could slide into the first round of the NFL draft, you know, that's going to have to start, that's going to start other teams motors who were like hoping they, he was going to fall into their, their laps when not a lot of people were talking about it. So that's why I think that, 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 that there's going to be six Trey Lance is for sure going in the first round. Trey Lance very easily will be uh, the third overall pick to San Francisco. I agree. Very easily. We see this every year where there's, there's usually a quarterback or two who are bona fide the one and two, and then there's everybody else. But it seemed, and Kyler Murray was this guy. I think Baker Mayfield even was too, where in the final couple of weeks coming to the draft, people start nitpicking a little bit more. They look for new headlines, and all of a sudden there's a new quarterback or two that jump into that top four or five that we didn't see coming earlier in the in the process. Uh, and Davis Mills, obviously, Ryan, you've been the only person that I've heard on any network talking about Davis Mills for since we started the show a month and a half ago. And all of a sudden, he's he's being talked about potentially in the back of the first round. Um, I definitely see it potentially happening. We see this every single year that guys kind of creep up last minute, and Davis Mills seems to be one of them this year. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of Kyler Murray, when they hired Cliff Kingsbury, it was like it was a done deal, you know. So, mm-hmm. and and the Baker Mayfield situation, I I, I talked to uh, almost every every team that year, and there was only two teams that had a first-round draft grade on Baker Mayfield. John Dorsey fell in love with him. And when Sam Darnold fell to three to the Jets, I told people that you got the number one overall pick at the third spot. So you should just be thanking your lucky stars with this process. And, you know, it's it's about where you go. The Jets were in an absolute free fall. Um, Cleveland Browns certainly looked like they were in absolute free fall. They finally found a good coach in Kevin Stefanski. And and they got him back to the playoffs. And Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield, seemingly uh, with no one there who wanted him, is now in a position to become their franchise quarterback if he can back it up in a second consecutive year under Kevin Stefanski. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's hit or miss um, at the quarterback position. Um, we know who's going one. That's the only thing we know. Everybody else who thinks Zach Wilson is is set in New York. You know, do not count your chickens. It's very reasonable that Justin Fields goes number two overall to the Jets. That is a very real possibility. Also, a very real possibility that Trey Lance goes number three to the San Francisco 49ers. All those things can be true. Now, if it falls like chalk is what we're hearing, and it goes Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and um, then at three with San Francisco, no idea. 
right? That could be Mac Jones, Trey Lance, or Justin Fields. Uh, I have not talked to anybody who can give me a reasonable explanation why it's going to be Mac Jones. This one, in terms of your conspiracy thought process, this one has the most smoke of anything. But like I said, wouldn't surprise me if all three of them are a viable option there. If it's Atlanta and they are not ready to move on from Matt Bryan, which before they hired Arthur Smith, they were. Um, I think Trey Lance fits in there probably best because then he'll sit and he'll learn and he'll be a, in a position to take over for, for Matt Ryan at that point. And that means Justin Fields is the last one standing in terms of the top five picks. And it's a matter of what the Bengals do with it and where he falls to eventually. Davis Mills, because of the movement, um, you know, I've said all along, he has first round talent. Uh, his injuries, his lack of snaps has been the detriment, I thought, that was going to place him in Jacob Eason uh, territory in this year's draft is not is not an anchor that's weighing on him like I thought it was going to. And he has risen up the draft board, and I'm going to look smart, I guess, when it's all said and done. But if anybody did really some due diligence and, and checked out all the film and watched what he was able to do late in the year for this Stanford Cardinal team, who was probably the best Pac-12 football team, when this season ultimately ended, um, you know, you're going to get a, you're going to get a fine one there in Davis Mills. So I want everybody to enjoy their weekend. Uh, grab some bomb banana, spice up your nachos with the, and wash it down with an athletic brew uh, and then get on the horn and, and uh, order some uh, sun fair because uh, uh, you ate a bunch of cheat meals all weekend watching the masters. All right. Enjoy your weekend. The boys will be here Monday to take you through everything you need to know in the sports world. Thanks everybody for being a part of the show. As always, you're watching the Brian D. Lee Show. Hashtag RDL Show. Talk to you guys next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.